Welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast, where being negative can be a good thing and being positive can turn the world against you. Welcome back. This is episode 99. I tried to get through 100 by the end of the year, but I did not make it. Today is New Year's Day. It is January 1st, 2024. 24 is my favorite number. This is going to be a great year. I was born on August 24th, so 8, 24, 4, those numbers all make me happy. I love even numbers, but 24 is by far my most favorite number ever, and I've been looking forward to this year for a long time. So I um, hope good things happen, and I hope it's um, full of lots of positive experiences. Crossing my fingers. Everybody's always negative at the end of the year. Have you noticed that there's so many posts that just say, I just want to throw this year away. It was garbage. I feel like that happens every year pretty sure like uh, everybody has like those feelings that the whole year was shit, but let's maybe get through a year and feel like it was great. I'm hoping that can happen. Um, I'm 99.9% sure that I wore the same exact sweatshirt. It's my daughter's cat and cloud sweatshirt um, in the last podcast. So I, it really is like two weeks later, but I like the sweatshirt. So I didn't feel like changing it. Um, You guys can't even tell, huh? I have a mic on. Do you see my mic here? It's hidden in my well, it's hidden because of the black sweatshirt, but I'm trying to uh, be all stealthy about it so I can have the um, YouTube recording sound good. Okay, uh, let's get to it. Oh, <laughs> I forgot my notes. <laughs> I printed them out. I'm stuck here with a mic, so I am not stopping recording. I'm just going to try to get up and reach my notes here. We'll see if I knock shit over. I'm not sure. I think I got it. Oh, no, the mic's not. Oh, there goes my microphone. Perfect. I knew this wouldn't work. There's so many little cords all over the place, but it's fine. I'll just fix it. Uh, that should go like that. Okay, now I gotta take this off. I can't believe I forgot my notes. Okay. Uh, and I got them. All right. Oh, jeez. If I didn't say, um, my name is Jennifer Levon, and I am your host, and this is the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. Okay, there we go. Mike is back on, hair is fluffed. I just got my hair done. And if you're watching on YouTube, you will see that my hair is, it's, I don't, it doesn't look so bad in this light. And I did a little Instagram story and it looked very blonde. I was like, oh no, maybe I need to um, do some low lights. What am I kicking down there? A bag of chips. Actually, they're not chips. They're like those, um, the peas and the chickpeas and the peas and the rice chips. They're so good delicious. They taste just like potato chips. They probably are about the same quality as potato chips, but I don't eat too many of them. I try to be careful. Okay. Um, I have some really amazing, exciting news. I have a new CD4. I had my blood drawn on Friday. I I will see my doctor this coming Friday, but I just got my results for my CD4. um, And this is the first time in eight years that it has looked like this, um, I started with a CD4 count. That's your immune system. For those that don't know, anything under 200 is considered an AIDS diagnosis, meaning you're more susceptible to opportunistic infections. Blah! And um, I was. I got PCP pneumonia because my immune system was shit by the time I found out I had HIV. So um, my immune system has obviously been recovering for years, and it's been fine. Like, I've never felt bad since my original increase over 200. Like once I got over pneumonia and got over the symptoms of HIV, my viral load went down, I felt fine. And my, I was, my immune system has never felt like it was 
bad in any way or not working right. Um, I recently had the flu. Um, and this could be why my CD4 is what it is. It could be because your white cells, uh, there's more white cells fighting off infections. So I think this could be why it's higher. I want to believe that it's just a great increase because my immune system is just getting that much stronger. But um, so basically anything between 490 and 1740 is normal. Um, my highest up until this point was 574. That was actually my last CD4 count. I got a CD4 count of 790 today. I already skipped through the 600s. So what will be interesting is to see what it is next time after I didn't have a round of the flu and see if the white blood cell count went up to fight infection. That that could be what it was. So my doctor said it's a really tricky thing. She's like, you know, we don't really know what caused the increase. Let's just be happy it's higher. So that could be it. Um, people had asked me last time for an update on Eric, my infector. And again, that's just an endearing term we use together. And he doesn't, he, he coined it himself. So it's totally fine that I say it. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, we haven't talked too much. I talk to him more when I'm, uh, like hormonal, I guess. Cause like when I'm not, and I just don't want to, I don't care about boys or men or anything um, because of that stage of your like cycle. I don't talk to him. So I kind of hit him up just out of curiosity, how are you doing and stuff. He knows this about me. Um, and then, you know, we might flirt a little bit over the phone. We still have not seen each other since 2021 in person. He does live four hours away and just, I don't know. I, I I don't know. I feel like I I like him like a brother. Sometimes, I mean, I feel so close to him. I feel like I could tell him anything, but there's personality traits that I'm not always so fond of with him. Sorry, my dog's scratching on the door. Oh, okay. You can come in. Come on. I thought the door would push open. Um, anyway, um, but I think he's really handsome still. And, but I know like as, as, like a couple that would not ever be a thing for so many reasons I'm not going to get into. Um, but I'm glad we're friends. You know, it's good for like my healing and everything. And I can completely understand why people wouldn't want to be friends with the person that they contracted HIV from. Um, you know, he didn't know he had it. So it makes it easier. It wasn't like he was like knew he had it and he was being irresponsible and not taking medication. It wasn't that at all. That would have been a different scenario. I don't think I could be friends with him at this point if that was the case. Um, okay. There was a guy who contacted me on the internet and he said, can you just do a whole podcast about why people don't test because they're afraid that if they have it, they'll give it to the people that they love, their family and friends, like people who live in their home. And I was like, do I, do I need to make a whole episode on this? Like, really? Like, the, can I just say it like in one statement that it's impossible? Like, that's all I needed to say. No, there's no, there's no threat to anybody in your home. Um, and maybe that was his point that people just don't get it. And so they're afraid to test because they think, which is true. They think that people that live with them will think that they, um, are a threat to them in some way, like by sharing the toilet or, you know, sharing utensils and, and all of that. There are still people that make people who are positive and they're aware of it, use paper plates at their homes and stuff. I've, I've heard stories of this within the last year. It's not, it's not, um, it's not that everybody really gets it still. A lot of people still don't. So, um, uh, 
gross. I just got a huge heap of crap on my throat. Sorry. I don't know why that happens when I do a podcast. Oh, there it's gone down my throat. Disgusting. Um, okay. Let's see. So that's, that's it. Yeah. You can't transmit to anybody in your house. Like, like that's just crazy. Even my doctor, my daughter's, my kids, pediatrician, and this was after I was newly diagnosed, wanted to have just to be on the safe side, have their blood drawn just to make sure none of them had it. Like, are you freaking kidding me? So they all went through with the blood draws. You know, Owen was little. He was like seven. He was not into the blood draw. I know kids get their blood drawn, but still like it felt unnecessary. The girls did it. Of course, they didn't like it either um, because the pediatrician thought, well, maybe if you shared razors, like stupid, stupid. It is not transmitted from people sharing razors. It's not. So it's sexually transmitted. If the mother's not on treatment, it can happen during the birthing process. It can happen from nursing if she's not on treatment and ends up being positive. Um, did I already say it's sexually transmitted? That was the first one. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, blood donations, which isn't a thing anymore. Like their blood's all tested um, and injection drug use. That's it. That's it. And that's all you're going to find on the internet too. Don't look for anything beyond that. Cause it's not possible. Uh, there is not, there aren't people like, that's the other one is the, the medical services stuff. Like people saying that, you know, blood was thrown through the air during a car accident and someone's blood mixed with another person's blood, like midair and they got HIV, but what the, no. And the tattoo thing, no one's getting HIV from tattoos, unless you're going to like some guy's garage and you don't know who he's been using needles on, I guess. But like, uh, you know, regular tattoo artists are using universal precautions and no, they, they don't reuse needles or it's all just crazy misguided information. Okay. Um, there were two, series I wanted to mention that were on Netflix um, that I watched like over a month ago. And I won't go into them too much, but I thought they were, I, well, I love documentaries. So they're both Netflix documentaries. One's called Buried 1982. Um, that was an avalanche that had happened in Tahoe during 1982, which is so crazy because uh, or maybe it was 83. I don't know if it, maybe, I think it's just called Buried. I might have put 1982 as a reminder to me about what the time frame was, but it might have been 1983. Anyway, I had gone skiing for the first time with my uh, central middle school uh, ski trip. Um, and we had gone, we went to Squaw Valley. This happened at Alpine Meadows. I'm pretty sure it was, was it Alpine? I think it was Alpine. doesn't really matter, but it was up in Tahoe. So I went up there with a group of kids. I knew nothing about skiing. I brought my jeans and we scotch guarded them. We sprayed our stupid jeans thinking like this was going to be great. It was the worst. I was so unprepared. Thank God it was sunny, but I was walking down all of these hills with skis in my hands in these boots that were hurting my back. I was eating snow because I was so thirsty. I went on lifts for runs that were way too hard. I was a new skier. I didn't even know how to snowplow. I could barely do it. So it was a miserable experience. But this avalanche happened um, either that year or the year after. I'm not sure. I think it was up there in 83. Yeah, 83 was eighth grade. So I don't know. It might have been the same time. Regardless, it's a fascinating story because there's some twists and turns about it uh, that I wasn't expecting. And um, basically, yeah, there was a big avalanche. And it was the 
ski patrol people who like spend their summers in Yosemite being, you know, um, nature guides. And then during the winter, they go to Tahoe and they, because they love it, they love these outdoor jobs and they, they love to ski. And so they get free ski passes, but they are also ski patrol. So basically it was some ski patrol people that got buried in the, like the work building that they, um, are in. And then there's, there's just some, I'm just going to say there's some twists and turns. Many people were lost like under 10, but still there was, it was, there were casualties. That was really good. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. The next one is called exposed Luna park fire in Sydney. And this was 1979. This was, um, uh, if so, if you've been to the, any boardwalk, I guess, like, you know, beach boardwalk, we have one here in Santa Cruz. They have, um, this was very similar. This park looked very similar to the boardwalk that I grew up with and my kids both work at. And there's a ride at our boardwalk called the Haunted Mansion. Well, they had a ride there called um, the Ghost Train. And it looked very similar. Like you get in, you, you know, it pulls up. It's just like at Disneyland when you got on It's a Small World. Not It's a Small World. Um, Peter Pan. When you get on Peter Pan and the, the little thing goes, you know, like the, I don't know if it's like a little aircraft thing because I feel like it has like a, a wings on it but the cart comes up it stops you walk in you sit down the bar comes over your lap and it takes off so it's similar to that except it's on a track that's on the ground and it goes through a basically a very dark building um and there you ha you have to go through all these twists and turns and there's all this stuff going on but there was a one area where there was a little fake fire and it was like um they had like paper kind of floating up because a fan was blowing the paper up, made the paper kind of like, you know, flutter. There was a light on the paper to make it look like fire. And this, it's all these firsthand accounts of these people that were actually on the ride when this happened. And it's now they're like my age. And they're, it's, the, it, when they talk about like how it all went down, there were seven people that died. And the, four of them were eighth grade boys. Like they were, 12 years old and they were on this ride as for freaking fun and then there was a father and his two little boys like i think they were like five and three the mother was outside with ice cream waiting for them to get off the ride anyways the the first-hand accounts and how they filmed that it's and there's three episodes to this one it kind of gets a little boring because they get more into like whether it was arson or if it was an electrical issue it turns out not an electrical issue. There was, there, it was arson. So there was, there was a lot of dark stuff behind why this fire happened. And that goes into it more in like episode two and three, but episode one, they get into how it happened and like what, what happened as far as like what they saw, what people saw. And they, they cut, they, they edited so well in between people, like the time frame of what each person saw as they went through the ride. Well, this lady says they went by this little thing that looked like a fake fire, but she said she looked at it and she's like, it looked real. Like she was like, I, I looked at it. And so she said, I reached out. I actually reached out toward it and I had to pull my hand back. Like it was hot. It was a real fire. So she was the first one to actually realize that there was a real fire and it wasn't a fake fire, but it was right where that fake fire was. So it turns into, it just, it, it engulfs the entire ride. And people are stuck in there because there's only like one way in and one way out. And there's even a part of the ride where it goes outside into the boardwalk where people, you can like wave, hey, hey, you go out of the ride and you go right back into it, but it's caged. So there's no getting out right there. So 
all of a sudden carts start coming through that area with fire on them and no one's on them because the people are inside freaking out trying to find a way out, but they can't get out. It was so intense. I Ugh. And I was about nine years old when this happened. Well, I was. It was 1979. Of course, I don't remember anything about it because I didn't watch the news. And we probably didn't get news from, you know, Sydney, Australia or anything um, in our local news. I doubt it. But anyway, those two I thought were really, really good. Okay. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. So yeah, this episode. So there was a couple things I wanted to do first. So I've got my uh, Taylor Swift notes because I love her. I love her. And when I'm reading her lyrics and realizing the dumb shit I've been saying in my head, thinking those were the words, um, I just cracked up about it. So I've, I've printed out a couple of her songs or a few of her songs. And just to tell you what I thought she was saying, and I, she, I feel like she does this on purpose. I really do. I feel like she does this shit on purpose. Um, so there's the song. Um, I think it's Style. Why does it not say that? I printed this out and I swear I thought, I think it's Style. So this the I thought they were saying, you've got that James Dean daydream look in your eye. And I've got that, I thought they were saying that Brad Pitt classic thing that you like. I mean, I'm not going to sing. I'm sorry. I'm such a bad singer. But anyways, she's not saying that Brad Pitt classic, but it sounds just like that. It sounds like she's saying Brad Pitt. She's saying red lip classic. So that one, I was like, oh, okay. I've been saying that wrong the whole time. Um, the next one, of course, a lot of people know this one. Got a long list of ex-lovers. This is from Blank Space. Um, nice to meet you. Where you been? I can't show you incredible things. You know, I didn't think she was the best singer, but then when I hear myself singing her music, I realize that she is actually a pretty good singer and I really suck. But anyways, uh, got a long list of ex-lovers, um, is what she's saying. Not got a lot of Starbucks lovers. Cause that's what I thought she was saying. Got a lot of Starbucks lovers. I know a lot of people thought that back in the day when the song first came out. Okay. Another one is Hi Sky. Um, Please don't shit on that. He craps on everything. Um, oh, I do like from Blank Space where she says this is like where she drops off part of the line or the lyric and it starts. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. I can only show you. She says, I could show you incredible things. Stolen kisses, pretty lies. You're the king, baby. I'm your queen. Find out. <laughs> I just got goosebumps. I love that. How it's like the end of the sentence, but it's like see see how it's like uh you're the queen baby i'm your queen find out what you want like this is a whole new sentence but it's part of this line i love that she does that a lot and i don't know if there's a name for that where you you know what i mean like the end of the thought is at the beginning of the next line but it has nothing to do with the rest of the line i like i wish i knew if there was a name for this but i she does that that all the time and it's really genius i just i love the way she writes her music okay um everybody seems to know this one now in cruel summer she says um and i screamed for whatever it's worth i love you ain't that the worst thing you ever heard he looks up okay everybody thought she was saying he looks so pretty like a devil no she's saying he looks up grinning like a devil he looks up grinning like a devil it's new the shape of your body it's blue God, I wish I could sing. Ugh, to be able to sing, it is a God-given talent, even though I don't really believe in God, but like not everybody can sing. That's why it's so special. Um, yeah, this one I don't, 
I don't even know that I can sing this one. This is um, You Belong With Me. Been here all along, so why can't you see You Belong With Me, You Belong With Me. Walk in the streets with you and your... I thought she was saying one-eyed jeans. Walk in the streets with you and your worn-out jeans. It's worn out. It's not one-eyed. What the hell? Why do I why, why would I... why would I say that? Okay, that's enough for for Taylor of Taylor right now. Apparently, she got a big, big old kiss from her big, big old boyfriend on New Year's Eve, and I'm jealous. Um, yeah, she got... Uh, someone said, like, she'll never be the same after that New Year's Eve kiss that Trav gave Tay. She had a jacket on it. The last game said Tay-Tay because that's what he calls her. That's what it said on her jacket. It's so sweet. Um, oh, okay. So before I go into um, what happens after you get diagnosed, just really quick, just a little bit of personal business. So if anybody remembers my favorite, you know, my favorite from like a year and a half ago. Um, what else can I say about him? 20 years younger than me. Um I, yeah, I just always called him my favorite. Um, he's single and he wrote to me, uh, I think it was Thursday night. Hold on. Wednesday night. What's, what's, do you need to go out sky? Are you okay? Okay. Um, he wrote to me, Hey, you, is this still you? And, um, it's a long story. I'm not going to get into everything that's been going on with him, but he's very recently single. There's like a restraining order against her. He, things went sour pretty bad and um he wanted to see me and I was the first person he reached out to and we had a I'm like a little heart sick at the moment to be quite honest um he just does something to me and we have a really amazing connection we saw each other Thursday night I think what's today maybe it was Saturday night I don't even remember it wasn't last night it was the night before yeah and it was incredible. He's beautiful. Um, he's too young for me. He's too short for me. But we um, have an incredible time together. I mean, what can I say? There's incredible. I keep saying incredible. Got to think of a better word. But there is chemistry, no doubt. And um, it's always hard to say goodbye. Because I know that it really can't be anything more than that. And um, But I want him so bad. Like I want them all the time. Like I, when I'm, when I'm there with them, it just like, it's almost like I can't catch my breath. I'm that into him. And he, he made me feel like he was really into me, even though things kind of ended on a, just sort of a lopsided note because he was starting to date somebody that he'd met and he was going to have to just call it quits with us. And he knew I had feelings and he didn't really want to talk about feelings he just wanted it to go away. He didn't want to deal with it. And so it was really painful for me at the end, but I got over it. In fact, I recently saw his name on Snapchat and I deleted it. I was so proud of myself like a week ago. It is very strange that he reached out so soon after I did that. I even told my girlfriend, I said, I just deleted him off of Snapchat and it felt so good. I was like, it didn't even bother me. And then I get this message from him. And I wanted to see if seeing him would make me feel less for him. And unfortunately it backfired. I like all the feelings rushed back. It was like I had not like no time had gone by and we both were just craving each other. Honestly, like I could, I could feel he was craving me too. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'll see him again and I'll just be a big, big mess. But, uh, that's all I can say is that he's 
20 years younger than me. It doesn't feel like it. Um, we have a great time hanging out. There's undeniable attraction and it's just fucked up because he wants kids. I can't give him that. I'm not, I'm, my life is leaps and bounds ahead of his. And, uh, it just, it is what it is. Okay. So there's that. Okay. So this is, um, a message that I got on, um, YouTube from Orlando Ramiro 22. And I can share that cause it's a public comment on there. Um, he said, this is from my last, um, my last podcast. He said, I've shown my mom your videos. My mom came from a time when people made her feel ashamed. I tried to convince her to even date when my dad died at 50. She was only 48. I found out when I was 14 that my dad had it from drugs. Then at 18 with my mom from him, um, it's been almost 30 years next year and she is doing amazing. He said, I tried for two years to make her understand that these are different times, but only your content. And he put only in big letters and your content in big letters. Did she fully feel that? Thank you. You are helping so many. And then he put the, the heart and then he gave me a queen, a queen crown. It's getting darker. I really want to try to finish this podcast before I have to put any light in here. Cause then it just, that'll help for a little bit. Okay. Um, so that, thank you, Orlando for sharing that. That was awesome. Okay. So this episode I wanted to talk about, uh, being, um, reported to the health department when you're diagnosed with um, HIV. So the thing about this that's so hard is that getting an HIV diagnosis is in itself very traumatic. It's extremely traumatic, even when people understand the treatment, which a lot of people don't. But you know from this point on you're marked, basically, and you will be thought of differently. And so that alone is terrifying. And then you start trying to figure out like, maybe you know how you got it, maybe you don't. So there's a lot of like mystery involved, which is also like adds to the trauma. A lot of people don't know who they got it from. Thankfully I did. And I got to put all the pieces together. So then I get this, you know, diagnosis, which for me changed my life in a split second. I it's, of course, I never thought I'd have HIV. Like what? Like I was, what did I do? Like, uh, did I do something crazy? And the thing was that I didn't. I didn't do anything crazy. I had sex with my boyfriend. It's what I did. But because I got HIV and I was diagnosed with it, I started to think for a while that I deserved it and that I must have been doing something pretty crazy. Like maybe, you know, I, I'm, this is like payback to me through the universe for having too many partners or whatever, maybe, or having sex without condoms. Like I'm, I'm, this is the universe's way of telling me that I am in trouble and that I've been marked because I did something wrong. But in reality, in actuality, it was just percentages. It was just unlucky. I, I was with somebody who had been with a man that's high risk for HIV and that's how I got it. So you need to stop. He's down here. My cat is down here. Um, doing this to the paper down here. Cause he will go to the bathroom on paper like you do when they're in the litter box. And I, here I'm doing it. I'm going to move the paper. Okay. There. Um, so anyways, yeah. What, so what happens is, is the health department will want to know who you've been with because they are going to do, um, contact screening. They're going to contact people and tell them you've been exposed to HIV and you need to get tested. This did not happen to me 
with Eric. Eric gave them my name and number. My number's been the same for over 20 years. Like I, I it's an easy number too. I, I almost look like I have a business number. And um, for whatever reason, I didn't get a call from them. So I ended up with an AIDS diagnosis because I didn't get treated soon enough. So there's that. But again, I don't blame them. I don't blame Eric. I, you know, I, I blame myself for not getting tested and it's on me. It's fine. I'm not going to put the blame on them. I did it first, but, um, yeah, I just, you know, we're all responsible for ourselves, and I should have tested. And, uh, so anyways, so I get, you know, I never got that. I had a, I had a home nurse that would come visit me and she was like, she had, she was feeling for me like what had happened. She was so upset that I had not been contacted. She felt that I had been completely like lost in the whole process. And it was a actual travesty that I was as sick as I was. She's like this, it just should have never happened. So she was furious about it. And so she was very protective of me. And she said, no one's going to be bothering you. Don't worry, I won't let it happen. So she was aware. Oh my God, I can smell it. He pooped in here. He pooped. I don't I don't even know where it is. Did you? Did you? I I, I think he did. I, I don't see it. It smells like a barbecue in here. It smells like he pooped. Anyways, so she was very protective and said, you know, I'm not, um, I'm going to make sure that this uh, doesn't happen. And so she, I, so she left it up to me. So I was with my ex at the time. He was here on his winter vacation, whatever. And he was going to be here for one more month. So he was here while I was basically on my deathbed. And like looking back, his whole, the way he treated me during that time was honestly pure shit. My mom like hated him after the way she saw he treated me. He did nothing to help me at all. Like if anything, he acted like nothing was happening. And I was like dying on the couch. I was so happy that he stayed with me. So I looked at it as, as a positive and I was, um, you know, it, it, and honestly, I have to thank him for that because I would have never gone public had I not had him by my side because it made me feel normal. And so it made me feel like there's this guy that accepts my diagnosis and I can talk about it because I haven't been rejected. If he had rejected me, I wouldn't have gone public. There's no way I would have, cause I would have felt way too scared to do it. Cause I had this strong pillar next to me, somebody who didn't get it from me and he was standing by me. So it made it like, you know, so much better. So I will give him that. But as far as like how he took care of me, there was no taking care of me. He didn't even bring it, bring me a glass of water. My mom did everything. So um, if you didn't know that now, if you're listening, yes, my mom did not like you at all after that. So yeah, there is that. Um, so anyways, I uh, when he left and I didn't really kind of know if we would end up back together and uh, truth be told, his family told him to run and that... Uh, I shouldn't be, he shouldn't be with me. And so they were worried the whole rest of the time we were together. For those that don't know that, um, his mom wished that he had just left because she was scared about his health and his friends were scared about his health. Everybody was because nobody took the time to do any research. So I was just a pariah to everybody and just a vector. And they didn't see me as anything else but that, which is really sad, but that is truly what happens to us when we get diagnosed. And it's getting darker and darker and I don't have a light ready. Um, so, or do I? Oh, I do. I have this light. Uh, okay. We're going to wait a second. It's not too dark yet. So um, he leaves and I decide at that moment, literally that day, I start 
writing to everybody that I had been with. Yeah, there were more people than just him and another boyfriend that I had for six months. I had been on Tinder. I had been having dates when I had free time and I didn't have a lot of free time because I had kids. So if I had a free night, you better betcha I was trying to hook up with somebody because I wasn't getting anything any other any other time. So I would try to schedule almost like, you know, and it takes time. I mean, you have to find somebody you even find attractive. And yeah, I mean, you just hope for the best. So um, yeah, there were other people and I did use protection with some, but some I didn't. So um, everybody, I, I had everybody's, you know, contact information. I did contact everybody and everybody was negative. So then I, I felt like I did my part, you know, I felt like I was like being responsible, whatever. But then I get this, um, you know, you've been reported. That actually happened. The reported thing happened. I don't have it in front of me, but it did happen uh, shortly after. It wasn't after I talk to the people. It was before that. It was like shortly after I was diagnosed. My blood work was done. It showed a positive. And on my blood work that I've kept, obviously, um, it says the date that I, it says reported date. So that means that my name was now associated with HIV and I was in, I was a statistic now and I was in the health department's list of people who contracted HIV or who were diagnosed in the year 2016. So my name went immediately to that list. That feeling of knowing that I had been uh, reported, the word reported made me feel like a criminal. Like there's no other way to describe it. You, you have HIV, you are being reported, and that is what is happening. And we don't really give a shit that you're dying on your bed right now and you don't really know how this happened. And we don't give a shit how this all makes you feel. <laughs> we are still reporting you and you are now marked for this. So that's exactly how it felt. So um, I wanted people to send me messages about how, like what their treatment was when they were diagnosed. Um, and it's horrific. Like there, it really is horrific how um, people have been treated. So this is from a woman. I'm not going to give names out. She said... Um, she um, said that she would answer and she said yes, because those questions are absolutely violating. She said, they asked me how many orgies I had. This is from a woman who got it from her boyfriend who was having sex with men behind her back. That is how she got HIV. She'd been with this man for three years. So she's a victim as far as I'm concerned. This is a victim. This is somebody who trusted her partner. Her partner was straight up having the riskiest kind of sex possible, a bottom, and he was with men without condoms and he gave her HIV. She said, they asked me how many orgies I have. I mean, can you even just imagine the trauma she's already going through? And then she has to deal with this shit. Uh, what drugs I inject, etc. Oh, they also called me a month later to let me know I'd been reported. Um, despite me trying to call them first, I was like, thanks, I'm undetectable now. And she said, and I gave them a fucking earful. And I know she did because she's very well-spoken and outspoken. I think this girl's amazing. Um, she said, um, those are the questions they have to ask based off of the reports of how the men typically get it, though. She goes, so there's that, <laughs> which is really shitty because this is typically not how women are getting it, but we're lumped in with how they get it. Um, okay, so this person, this is a different female. She said, I had to drive an hour to the health department in Trenton, New Jersey, because they wouldn't read my results over the phone. A man sat across from me at a table and said, unfortunately, you are HIV positive. There is nothing I can say to console you. How oh, nice. Um, he gave me an outdated brochure that I said, or no, that said I had a life expectancy of 12 to 24 years. 
That was in 2011. And um, yes, she got it from her boyfriend who was having sex with men. And she said, um, yes. So for a solid week, I'd say I thought I had 12 to 24, 12, I can't talk, 12 to 24 years to live. I laugh at it now, but I mean, how traumatizing. I was 25, 25. And it's almost like they want you to feel bad. Like, uh, you have it. You clearly did something wrong. So we're going to kind of give you the, the shit information and let you sit with it. And you know what? If it makes you feel bad, oh, well, you have it. You have this thing that's like you only have to do bad things to get it. And that is not the truth. Um, when I w got my viral load back, I got it over the phone by the receptionist at the doctor's office that I went to first. It wasn't my HIV doctor. It was an infectious disease doctor. Um, I got my my viral load results from a girl that was probably 19 or 20 years old who didn't obviously know shit about HIV. And she goes, um, yeah, your viral load is 507,000. Like, I truly remember, I totally remember that phone call. And I felt like in that moment, I've talked about this before, that she almost was gloating, like, sorry, you fucked up. Sounds pretty high. Must suck. You know, like that's how I felt because she probably saw HIV and she's like, she gave me no explanation of what 507,000 meant. I didn't know what it meant. It sounded like a shit ton and it scared the crap out of me, but I'll never forget how she delivered it to me. It was just without any kind of kindness or concern. It was just a big number that she just rattled off on the on the phone. And it was like, this was my health. This was my, you know, am I going to live, you know? So just bullshit. Okay. Here's another one from a female who got it from a man who was on the DL. My health department story, um, please don't share my name. She said, they asked me the last time I traded sex for drugs or money, not if, but when, what an assumption, never. She said, I was raped that's how I became positive. Sorry, I was wrong. That was somebody else that I thought. But this was a man definitely who had sex with men because there's just hetero men don't have this. Okay. She said, then they proceeded to call my husband the very next day without me sharing his info or giving my consent. This means they assessed my marriage certificate. Sorry, I have a cat trying to get out. You good. So they assessed her marriage certificate. They told him he had been exposed. Now I had told him at this point, but it was less than 24 hours after I received the news. She said, uh, this didn't affect me. However, what if I was in an abusive relationship? Like, right? And imagine it was my husband who gave it to me and he hadn't tested yet. So he doesn't even know he has it yet. Um, imagine I didn't have a safe place to go. What if I had children? The health department never asked these questions of me. This makes me so freaking mad. They went straight to calling my husband without my consent. What if we were in a sexless marriage and he had never been exposed to her? They did not know. They did not know the specifics of my circumstances and assumed I was a drug using prostitute who exposed my husband. Then after knowing I was married, they called me repeatedly for weeks asking for names of other partners. I talked to my ID doctor and she told me that they would continue and that I didn't have to answer any of their questions. She also politely told me that there was a block feature on phones, <laughs> which tells me that other people in Texas, by the way, the first person um, who said 
it was the first story I told she was in Texas also, um, that she said, um, which tells me that other people in Texas that she has seen have also had this abuse from the health department. So the Texas health department seems to be shit. She said, what they didn't know is that I am Polly. I did have one other partner whom I, I informed the very same day I found out. So they wouldn't have known to even contact this person, both him and my husband tested well what do you think they tested negative because women do not transmit it to men <sighs> so tired so tired of fighting this and people like it's so clear just look at my dl men highlights it's so obvious where it's coming from it's coming from men on the down low and we are not giving it to anybody like if it happens it's the rarest of the rare but i'll tell you it is just not a thing. We are getting it from men on the down low. That is how, that's how we get it. Number one reason or number one way. Um, okay. Urgent care in New York city. This is from a man about his partner did not even inform my partner of the positive result. He discovered it himself and a lab work sent as a text message through a link that just required his date of birth. And once he returned to the clinic with a positive result, his results were confirmed and he was told to follow up with his doctor. Nothing else. No registration with the health department or anything else. Um, and then he said, um, oh, she, okay. So I had asked a question about that and he said, yes, you would think the story would be from some suburban village and the actual, instead of the wait, you would think this story would be from some suburban village in the actual New York city urgent care. Uh, oh, oh, sorry. There was no period there um, in some suburban village. In the actual New York City, urgent care did not notify him of the positive result. And it was not for me insisting he opens his result through the text text message link. And if it wasn't for him, sorry, it's, uh, it's I don't think English is his first language. Um, if it wasn't for him telling his partner to open that text message link, he would have never known that he was positive. And then to confirm, we returned to that urgent care and they said, yep, you're positive. Connect with your doctor. And that's all they did. So that's kind of like the opposite side of the spectrum. Like he got zero care after he was um, diagnosed. Um, and, you know, I really had to seek it out too. It took me a good, like over a week to see an HIV doctor. So, and I was getting progressively sicker by the moment because I didn't know I had AIDS and I didn't know I was going to end up with pneumonia by the time I saw my HIV doctor. So in the time I was diagnosed until the time I saw my HIV doctor, I had full-blown pneumonia. There's no such thing as full-blown AIDS. It's either AIDS or it's not AIDS. But I had acute HIV infection and I had um, I had an AIDS diagnosis. And like I, you know, I, it's like, what if I had seen her the next day? Like it was pretty urgent. My CD4 count should have been taken. It wasn't the, um, it was a mess. Like I was sent to an infectious disease doctor. Well, it was an internal medicine doctor first. He had my blood drawn. I was positive for the um, Western blot on that, but they didn't do a viral load until the next day. And they only did viral load. The internal medicine doctor sent me to a infectious disease doctor who um, only did my viral load, didn't do my CD4 count because he didn't know. I mean, he's the one who told me to chew, um, cinnamon gum because my mouth felt yucky because I had yeast in my mouth. He told me to chew cinnamon gum. Like what the hell? So anyways, my doctor, like it, I, I ended up in the ER twice 
by the time I saw him, had my viral load taken, still didn't have a CD4 count, didn't get a CD4 count until I saw her like 10 days later. So in those 10 days, I was... I got pneumonia and I ended up in, like going to the hospital because I couldn't freaking breathe. And so um, I got to her and we didn't have a culture of which pneumonia it was. I was treated for a more common one, not the medication I needed. So I got way worse during this weekend. I saw her on a Friday, had the wrong antibiotic basically got the right one by Monday. But during the weekend, I had progressed so much worse I could barely breathe. My fevers were outrageous. I ended up calling 911 because I didn't want to wake my parents up. I couldn't even move off the couch. They were upstairs in my room and they heard the ambulance come. It was a shit show. And I didn't, I think Eric had gone snowboarding because yeah, he was so concerned about me. Um, and I didn't want anyone to know, but I felt like I needed to go to the hospital. I could, I felt like I was dying and um, it was terrifying. And I felt like my parents had had no sleep in trying to take care of me, my dad and my, my mom and my stepdad. So I just wanted to handle it by calling 911 and just maybe can you scoop me up and just take me to the hospital and not wake anybody up? Like that was my thought. That's what I wanted to do. And everybody woke up and it was really embarrassing. And I had firemen in my living room and I had to say in front of like all these cute firemen that I was just recently diagnosed with HIV and that I I have uh, pneumonia and I have AIDS and I'm yeah, I'm pretty sick and I'm pretty freaking embarrassed right now. It was awful. So I, I chose not to go in the ambulance because it whole, turned out to be a big shit show about which hosp hospital I could go to. And uh, I just, the by the time they got there, the ibuprofen that I'd taken before, I was, you know, alternating back and forth constantly, I, ibuprofen and Tylenol had kicked in. My fever was a little bit more manageable. And I just said, I'm just going to stay home. But it was, I, but I did, I had two other trips to the hospital, the ER. One was because I couldn't breathe. I was getting worse and worse. That was before I saw her and they diagnosed me. They had me do a, like, they were so nice though. That was a Dominican hospital. They were so nice. The nurses were so nice there. I had to do this like breathing test where I walk and they like test my breathing while I'm walking and stuff. And yeah, they're like, yeah, you have, you have pneumonia for sure. So, um, but again, I didn't get the right kind. So yeah, it was a big, it was a giant shit show for about 10 days. And during all this time, I'm like, is my boyfriend going to leave me? I'm taking like a tripla in, in private because this first doctor screwed up and gave me a medication before he even knew what my, you know, what I was resistant to. Um, he just put me on a tripla, which was like an old medication. There were other ones available at the time, but he didn't know my doctor that, you know, that I talked to my, my doctor that who is my doctor now, when I first talked to her, she was just like, not wanting to say a lot, but she said enough to say that what he did, like he completely messed up, like, and they were going to talk to like the board of whatever doctors in the area. And, gently tell them how they fucked up with me and that they shouldn't have put me on treatment. He should have gotten my CD4 count. He shouldn't have told me to get, he should have picked up on the fact that I had yeast in my mouth, you know, that there's something very wrong here and she's more progressed than you think. Cause he was just like, you're going to, you'll be fine. It's like, it's like easier than it's easier to treat than diabetes. Like that was, it was, his whole thing was like, just very like, eh, it's like not that big of a deal, which is great when you're not sick. But I was, really sick and it was just around the corner and I, I got very, very sick within days of all of these appointments. Finally, it all turned around when I got the right medication for the pneumonia. That was Meprin. And I mean, I couldn't, like I've said before, I couldn't, it tasted terrible. It looked like yellow paint, but I couldn't wait to get the next dose because with every dose, I felt like 
5% better. I could feel it. It was just like, I can't wait to take another dose because it was helping. And um, I didn't know what normal even felt like anymore. Like it was a good five weeks of being pretty sick. And it's like, it's exhausting being sick. And, uh, and so many things going through your head that, you know, what did you do to deserve this? Like, what did I do? What did I do wrong? Why me? Why did this happen to me? Why, you know, why doesn't this happen to you know, more people, because there was no women, I didn't know anybody. And so yeah, that's I went five months without knowing one other person who had HIV, I just was in my own little world about it. But thank God we have social media media today. And um, we can all connect through social media, because imagine in the past how people handled this, gay men had their groups, but women didn't have shit because they didn't even know how to find each other. There was no way to find each other. So if you were diagnosed before a certain time, before social media was relevant, you're, you're on your own, babe. Like there, there ain't nobody there you're going to be talking to. You're not going to go to a gay man's group and feel support. You're going to feel like an outcast. So, you know, it was, it was a hard five months not knowing a damn person, but that is why I put my video out. I, I had to, I had to like, I had to find another woman. I thought there's got to be one, hopefully there's one. And then it turned into all of this. I mean, it's just crazy it's crazy how it all happened, but many things had to go the right way for me to be able to do it. And Eric not contacting me and, um, me getting very sick is number one, because I wouldn't have done it had I been healthy the whole time. If I was diagnosed shortly after finding out that I had it, I never would have never would have gone public. Cause I wouldn't have known the drastic change that you could get so sick and then get back to complete normalness. Like I didn't know that was even possible and before I didn't know that it would be possible while, while I was in the process of it, it wasn't until it actually like became true. And I'm like, I feel fine. Like, my God, I'm fine. I'm actually fine. I thought for sure I'd be like, it was going to be a punishment every day. So that, you know, that happened. Um, my partner staying with me definitely gave me the strength to talk about it online. He, he encouraged it even though it was our detriment at the end and his affair also, but he, he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. It bothered him so much, so much that he actually like wanted nothing to do with HIV in any way and like went to a lawyer to make sure that everything associated with him on my stuff was taken down because he didn't want any association with it. He was that freaked out about it. This is the guy that told everybody online uh, that I didn't give it to him and it's just a nothing today. Like he was so outspoken about it, but he changed his tune completely when he became a single person again. And then he decided he didn't want to be associated with it in any way because there is guilt by association. He didn't want anyone to think that he probably had it. So whatever, go do your thing, whatever. Um, so, but Hey, it brought me, uh, Annie and I'm so grateful for that too. Like, man, oh man, like she's like one of my best friends. I talk to her every day. We talk about so much. We talk about everything. So she is his ex most recently. And she contacted me when some shit went down between them and they are not together. They haven't spoken since she started talking, talking to me, they haven't spoken once. So, um, I, yeah, she's amazing. And so again, I always say like, thank you, Eric, for bringing Annie into my life. And I, I will see her for sure. We're, we'll have pictures, we'll have videos. We will definitely, uh, be on, on my social media together. She's, she's, I uh, just posted a picture of her on my Instagram. Uh, it was a very pretty picture of her in the snow, but she's amazing. And, um, yeah, it's crazy how all of it worked out. There are so many silver, silver linings to all of it. And the fact that I get to sit here right now and talk into a camera and give hope 
to people out there who are newly diagnosed because I know that it happens a lot and they tell me they saw my videos <laughs> you know I mean I don't know if people really get how much that affects me and how grateful I am that I that this whole social media thing even though it's hard at times there's a lot of shit that's on there that I have helped so many people that didn't know what to expect after they were diagnosed. So I am beyond grateful for when people reach out and tell me that and let me know that, that I helped in some small way when they were diagnosed because I know, I know how shitty it is and how scary it is and how alone you feel and how many people in the past had to just suck it up and take this diagnosis and just, I mean, you wonder why so many people with HIV have killed themselves because it is super traumatic. Mm. You know, I'm going to end this with one small thing I forgot to share. Um, I didn't disclose to somebody. I didn't disclose for an entire year. Um, I tried to use condoms in the beginning just because I knew he was on dating apps and I didn't want to get anything from him. And I also didn't want him coming back at me and saying, oh, you me or whatever. Well, I had a trip to Louisiana. We're not boyfriend and girlfriend or anything, but we've definitely spent enough time together that, you know, we know each other really well. And, um, I chose to tell him three weeks ago because of my trip to Louisiana. We have a lot of mutual friends, um, you know, with my son's basketball. He's, he's a, he's a coach, not for my son's school, but he coaches a lot of the kids for a travel league. Anyway, I told him, and I told him everything and he listened and he listened and he smiled and he let me talk. And I think I talked for 20 minutes straight. I wanted him to know why I went to Louisiana for my ADAP trip. And I explained to him, I would never ever, you know, put, expose you. Like you, I would never put you at risk is what I said. You're, you're fine. Like I, I can't transmit this or anything. He's a really intelligent guy who comes from a religious background his dad was like a preacher or something, pastor. Um, so he's probably, maybe, maybe you're, maybe you have more judgment when you're in that kind of a background. I would feel like you'd be more open towards people. Anyway, that doesn't even matter. But I find him to be somebody who is very intelligent and I really thought he'd be fine. Um, he hasn't talked to me in three weeks. Not, I mean, I've reached out to him. I actually said happy new year's today. He said nothing. He saw me at a game recently and waved to me because he had to, because I looked right at him and waved and he had to wave back, but he was sitting right in the same section as me or right over in like a section over. And he could have texted me like we're in, like we are intimate. We've been intimate many, many times, like 20 at least. And he hasn't said a word to me since. So um, and you know what? I'm concerned about how he's doing. That's how this is. Like, this is so shitty of how he's treated me when I explained everything to him, how hard it was for me to open up and share something that I didn't want to share because I had a feeling, you know, you never know how somebody's going to react, but I'm sharing something very personal and private about myself and also proud of my advocacy and wanting him to know more about me. Um, and I guess, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm assuming that he took what he wanted from it and felt betrayed or whatever um, about a diagnosis that he'll never get because it's impossible to transmit it when you're on treatment. And I tried to explain to him about women in general anyway, even without treatment. Um, but 
this is the result I'm getting is um, nothing back from him, nothing like he's ghosting me. So it's, this is what stigma does. And, you know, part of me is like, I mean, I've got it all in my head, like wondering, like, what, how did I, what did I do wrong? Like I explained everything. Um, I never put him at risk. I mean, it was a hard thing for me to tell him. I never knew the right time to tell him because, you know, when I'd go over there, what am I going to do right before we're together or like we're falling asleep after. So like, no, I'm, there was never really a good time, but this night I left, uh, earlier cause I had to get my son from practice. So I just, I told him and, um, I felt like glad that he knew more about me. I wanted him to know about my advocacy. Um, I did not think at all that he would do this. I, I can't like, he's not even having an adult conversation with me. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe even tonight. I'll find that I have a message from him and I want to talk, but it's been three weeks. It's been pretty quiet, pretty obvious what he's, what his plan is and is to not talk to me anymore. So that's what this is. Like he could have still had me as a booty call, but he, he can't like comprehend the information, I guess. I don't know. And didn't want to take the time to research more. Probably went to friends who said, get the F out of there. And she lied to you. She's deceitful. She's a pariah. You should never be with her again because how dare her not say anything about something that really should have never happened to me that I didn't want, that I didn't do anything crazy to get, that I have to live with now, that I have to share with people if I want to, um, but knowing that there might be this consequence. Like, try to see it from my side. It's not easy. It's not. Okay. I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great beginning to your new year. And um, I will be back soon. I have another couple weeks off before I go back to work. And um, I will try to do another podcast before then. Until then, I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Thanks, guys.